This is Mission Disco, a conversation about imagination, innovation, and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. I am Simon Kilpatrick. And I am Brian Sanders. We are your DJs for this conversation. Uh, Simon, I'm back. Uh, I was I took a little jaunt to the United States, and now I'm back in quarantine where I belong. Absolutely. Where, where Irish people want me to be. Yeah, I know. We we're just waiting for this pandemic to keep you keep you at home and keep you out of people's faces. I hear your uh, your plane or your flight over and back was fairly empty in a fair bit of space. It's it's incredible. First time ever that I was able to lay across five open seats. Um, and I felt like a king. It's poor man's first class is what it was. And actually, <laughs> I really beat the system because I didn't do any of the upgrades for a better seat or you just took the you take the middle seat cheap flight because you're going to get a premium seat because there just aren't people. So anyway, I also don't really think there's too many people flying back and forth right now. I, no, I have some sort of special dispensation because I have a resident card and a U.S. passport, so I'm no one can keep me out. <laughs> but but for all our listeners, I have not spread COVID to anyone. I can say that with confidence. So I'm. Primed. You nearly played football last night, but then remembered. I did. So thank you for pointing that out because I'm I'm trying to be conscious. You're being good. Thank You're you. trying to be Irish, not American. Exactly. <laughs> Obey the laws. <laughs> libertarians. We're all libertarians. Well, it's um of course it's nice to see you. And we have we do have a guest with us uh this morning, uh Clifford Sullivan. We wanted to we wanted to explore, you know, a lot of what we uh you know what we've been talking about is kind of the the creative potential of the church, and of course our our real bullseye is mission. Uh, in, in particular in Ireland. And, you know, we're talking, and in one sense, we're talking about sort of liberating the church or changing the church to see itself in a different way, to operate in a different way. Um, but it, it occurs to me that once we come to that conclusion that the church is this thing which is not confined in the way that we've imagined it to be confined by buildings or programs or clergy laity or um, even economics, that it's actually this, something much more living and deployed. Uh, you can kind of start to get excited about what that could mean. And, and maybe to push that conversation forward today, we've invited Clifford because Clifford is providing leadership, uh, the Irish expression of something called transform our world. And he's going to, he's probably going to share more about that, but essentially, you know, we're talking about seeing the church everywhere and seeing the church sort of expressing itself. Yes. In the marketplace, in education, in government, in media, in the arts, uh, in homes, anywhere where people gather, what if the church was to form there? So we've been talking a lot about sort of liberating uh, um, and thinking creatively, but plenty of people have been working on that for a while now actually seeing the church outside the church and seeing it express itself uh, outside of conventional forms. So Clifford, we're, we're really glad you're here. Um, would you just greet us or just tell us a little about yourself? I've obviously given you a, a, probably a, an inadequate introduction, but um, we're glad you're here. Tell us a little bit about Transform Our World or even just your own story. Kind of introduce yourself to us. Okay. Thanks very much, Brian. It's very nice to be on the show, on the broadcast. So, uh, Greetings to everybody. So yeah, I'm I'm an Irish guy. I grew up in South Dublin and uh, grew up in a in a Christian household, and uh, was a been a faithful believer for what forty years now. Uh, I'm more than forty, so uh, it didn't happen <laughs> uh, at the at the outset of my life. Um, there was a conversion experience for me, um, and I suppose somewhere along the way, I, I started to ask the Lord, uh, well, in my experience of church, is this it? Or how, uh, how is the mission to be accomplished when you, when, when you read the Great Commission? You know, go and make disciples of all the nations. And I started asking the question, well, how are you doing on that one? And uh, started to dialogue with the Lord about that and uh, saying, well, how are we doing in Ireland? And... Um, 
you know, I, I, I read that in Brazil, there's something like 26% uh, were, were, were born again spiritual believers. So, wow, isn't that fantastic? Can you imagine if we had, if we had 10% here? And I felt the Lord saying to me, uh, will you work with me for that? Um, and I, I put up my hand and, you know, God doesn't always use the best qualified, but uses the ones who put up their hands. And so thus began a journey. And I found out about this movement called Transformer World, which is very missional. So it looks at the Great Commission, which is really all about nations. And so I think traditionally uh, we have looked at mission as being, well, you know, bringing in the twos and the threes. But actually the Great Commission is uh, about discipling nations uh, and the teachings of Jesus, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's in, in, in Matthew 28. But uh, in, in the book of Mark, the Great Commission is written down as preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, And we're more familiar with that one. So we're more familiar about get the message of the gospel uh, out to everybody. But actually, Matthew uh, 28 says, you know, go uh, into all the nations, make disciples of all the nations. So actually that is a huge commission. And the disciples were faithful to that because that's how the gospel spread. And, um, you know, today in Transformer World, we're seeing cities and nations being transformed as people get back into uh, the heart of what Jesus said it's about, or at least our, our understanding of that. And so ecclesia, what is ecclesia? What is the church is a fundamental question to be asked. So Jesus only talked about church twice. And the word he used was ecclesia, which was a, a secular term at the time for a, a, a local governmental authority. Um, now, originally a Greek word, uh, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. And then the Romans, uh, when their empire sort of still a bit Hellenistic, but when it took over, it was E-C-C. Uh, and that's where we get the ecclesiastical thing. Um, but uh, the ecclesia was an assembly, or the ecclesia was an assembly of people who were deputized with authority by the emperor. And it's quite fascinating. You know, Jesus co-opted that term. So he could have said, I will build my temple, which was a religious expression. He could have said, I'll build my synagogue, which is a religious expression. Uh, one where, where you have the presence and the ministry of the priests, the synagogues where you have the fellowship and the word. Um, but he didn't use either of those, which is actually surprising. He used a secular term. Uh, why? Because it was better suited for the marketplace. People understood it. It was something that was out there rather than within the four walls. Hmm. And so he said, I'll build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So it's, it's, it's intentionally uh, bringing light where there's darkness. Hmm. Which is which is really a uh, um, game changing kind of perspective, isn't it? Or or maybe we've just uh, somehow lost our way a little bit. Like maybe that would have been plainer to the first church uh, than it is to us, because over time we have kind of co opted it as just this separate. I mean, how how do you how do you sort of deal with or respond to the? Um, the, the sort of separation, essentially, ideological, philosophical separation between the church and government, the church and these sort of secular institutions. Um, I mean, what, 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 what is our response to that? Because, of course, it's very exciting to me to think about it, but I also think it's somewhat new ground for us yeah. to go there mentally. Like, how does that look, essentially, then, to see the church in a marketplace, in government, without it being corrupted, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Jesus described the kingdom as being like leaven in the dough. And so uh, the idea being that, you know, the leaven permeates the entire dough. It's not confined to a churchy bit, you know, with, with a spire and, and four walls. So we're intended to impact all of society. And I think the transition is from a, from a church mindset to a kingdom mindset. So it's the kingdom of God is uh, leaven in the dough. The kingdom of God is. And Jesus talked 
most of the time about the kingdom and very little or relatively little about the church. The church was sort of a given. It was, it was understood. And when we, when we read in the early part of Acts, you know, the church met in homes and it also met in the temple courts. And when in homes they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, where would they have got that? Well, they didn't have media like we do. They had to go to the temple courts to receive that. So um, the apostolic doctrine is, is clearly very important. They devoted themselves to that, to prayer, to fellowship, to breaking of bread. And, um, and it was from house to house, it was very organic. And so I think seeing that church is organic and that it's people rather than buildings. You know, the church didn't have church buildings really until Constantine changed everything uh, and it became an official religion. Up till then, it was a mobile, a buildingless people movement. And that, that, that's our origin. You know, it's where two or three are gathered together. There is Christ in the midst of us. And that's where we have spiritual quorum, is where, where, where Christ is in the midst of us. And so those twos and threes can be in government. They can be in business. And what we need to do is we just invite the kingdom of God uh, into wherever God has deployed us. And he, he will have deployed us in different places. And let's not see that just because we're not pulpit minister, it doesn't mean that we're not serving the Lord. We can bring the kingdom into our workplace, uh, into our you know, educational sphere, wherever we are, uh, the kingdom of God is. And let's, let's, let's invite him into those places and be intentional, be full of faith and prayer, be full of his, the heart of Jesus to love people and to pray, to see transformation happen in people's lives. Clifford, when you um, mentioned, it's interesting you mentioned Matthew 28, I always think of that passage when Jesus says, go and make disciples. You know, they would have understood that bit. But they, of all nations, imagine being told that as a small group of people, what that means, rather than just proclaim to the people around you. How, how has that realization for you given you a much bigger perspective? How does that affect how you see mission and how you see your role in that because for me when I hear something like that it just makes me go well who am I it's me by myself it means I need to work with others it means I certainly need to rely on God and allow God to lead has that impacted you yeah totally yeah I mean it's a great question so I'm like who are we you know uh, we're nobody but uh, when we align with the heart of God um, like if you, if you look at I suppose the the, the 12 disciples um, and if you evaluate, if you got HR to evaluate them, not many of them would have got the job, you know. And uh, I think that's the way it is. God calls us and he fills us with his vision, I suppose. And I'm always mindful of um, um, the story of Mary in Luke chapter 1, where uh, Mary, you know, who's highly favored of the Lord, uh, gets called to uh, bring forth the Son of God. And she says, who am I? Mm. How can this be? And uh, the response from, from Gabriel is, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And that's the key for all of us. You know, by ourselves, we're nothing. We're ordinary. But when the Holy Spirit overshadows us, we become extraordinary. And he, he does extraordinary things through us. Mm. And even through our everyday And so, you know, we read in, in, in Acts of uh, Paul when he was a tent maker, you know, handkerchiefs and aprons were sent to those who were sick and they, they were healed and people were set free. So um, there is something, you know, this is the Holy Spirit at work, I feel. And my sense is, I mean, I, I've been a believer for many years until I was at a Transformer World conference and I heard Ed Silvoso, who's the founder of it, say, we all need to be rebaptized with a spirit of love and compassion. And I was convicted where I sat. I mean, it changed me where I was. And immediately I felt the Lord talking about Isaiah 61 to me. And uh, Isaiah 61, as we know, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too, right? And in my old paradigm, he had anointed me to, you know, be a, you know, a, a good Christian, to, you know, maybe speak in tongues, whatever, to... You never know some prophecy. And that's my concept of the anointing was that it was contained in, in, a, in a building context. Mm -hmm. some point. But actually, Isaiah 61 
is, is all about the horizontal expression of the work of the Holy Spirit in touching the blind and the, the captives and the oppressed. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting to me, Jesus at the very outset of his ministry read from that scripture and said, today is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was saying, this is me. This is my mission. Mm. And if it's his mission, it should be our mission. So, you know, getting outside those walls and, and loving the, the people God loves, bringing change where there needs to be change. And um, that nation vision, I, I think what it does is it, it helps us to lift our sights. Because I think as, as humans, we tend to default to something that's more comfortable, that's more familiar, mm. where we all talk the same way, have the same cultural outlook. But, you know, Jesus deliberately went outside of that and the pharisees were actually very offended look look who he eats with you know he's 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 hanging out with publicans and sinners and and yet that's where you see the heart of jesus in operation for the lost for the broken and um you know just getting out there to fulfill the heart of jesus um i think is is surely what, what it's all about and i know personally i felt so much more fulfilled um, and changed. I mean, the Lord has worked in my heart. I've, I felt circumcised in my own heart. God has had to knock down quite a few walls inside of me and, and uh, chip away at my mindsets to acquire something of the heart of Jesus for a, a broken world. Well, and it, it, it probably should be said, too, that you're not, you know, God has not called you necessarily into uh, you know, paid vocational ministry. You're a you're a lawyer, a practicing lawyer. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about that because I, I think you know you 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 have a sort of this leadership mantle on you, anointing a way of looking at the church that you're trying to lead it and you know speak into it. But of course, the the position from which you're doing that is the marketplace. You're actually in. You know, you have a practice. You're yeah. and maybe maybe you could talk about that. Um, to people, you know, we're going to have people that are listening who don't work in paid ministry. Um, and maybe, maybe they've always known and believed that they're called by God to where they are, but don't always feel supported in that or don't always feel that maybe they're sort of second class missionary people. Right. Uh, can we flip those apple carts here a little bit? And just from your own story, your own experience, uh, can we validate them or empower them? And again, this is not to say that people that are called into paid ministry aren't doing something very vital and beautiful. Of course they are, yeah. but we need to, we need to set things right here. And, and maybe to some degree people deployed into the marketplace are uniquely positioned to do something beautiful for God. Can you just you know speak to that? Right. Absolutely. You know, it's the heart of God. The priesthood of all believers is something I think we all, we all accept uh, and believe in. And yet we, we haven't really had much of a roadmap for that. Um, when you read, though, about the fivefold ministry, um, it's quite clear that the, the purpose of the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints for the saints to do the work of ministry. So it's all about, it's the day of the saints, it's the equipping of the saints. And the saints are typically in, in the marketplace in some way, whether uh, they're a homemaker, whether they're in college school, whether they're in work somewhere. Um, and so if the, if the saints are to the works of service, they're going to do it outside of that place where they were equipped. So by definition, they're bringing what they received in church and received up, uh, from the apostles or whatever, and they're bringing that out to live it out during the week. So the model changes from Sunday being what it's all about uh, to Sunday being a place of equipping and commissioning. Um, to do the works of service 24-7. And so that applies no matter where we are. So if we have the Spirit of God, you know, he has delegated authority to us. And as Ecclesia, and that's why, again, he chose that term, it's a decision-making, governmental, legislative body vested with authority. You know, if we are filled with the Spirit, then, um, you know, in the same way that we read in the book of Acts, that should be, that should be our story too. Mm. Yeah, the the fivefold ministry, I think coming across that a few years ago really helped me understand and see 
how the church could be or maybe how the church should be. We think about those other giftings and those other parts. Because I know for me, I, I probably struggled a little bit to fit into the pastoral model. It's not my thing. And seeing some of the other roles, giftings, purposes of the church really helped me in that. How, how, what kind of things have you been seeing in the church? Because obviously when we look at the church in Ireland, predominantly we see that pastoral model. We see training colleges, um, denominations, largely training for that model of ministry, the pastoral ministry. And we, we don't train people for the apostolic ministry. Have you seen glimpses of that? You know the Irish church much, uh, much more than I do. You've been around longer. Um, have you seen that? Do you see changes happening? Um, I think most uh, pastors haven't been trained in the pastoral model. That, that's, that's where they have been and are. Um, I think, though, there is a growing realization that, you know, if we keep on doing what we've always done, we're going to keep on seeing what we've always seen. Mm. So, you know, if we're going to see change, then we need to 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 look at things differently. And I think there are um, people coming up, particularly younger folk, who are saying, "Look, yeah, it is all about the nation, actually." And I've a big congregation of people who are looking for purpose, and there there are people who who are you know, spirit-filled and, and they need a, a roadmap how they can be ministers uh, where they are. And the apostolic, the prophetic, the pastoral, the teacher, the evangelist can all combine to equip and commission people to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, in Transform Your World, is that, I don't know it that well, but is that more apostolic? Is it more thinking about that side of what the church should be about? Yeah, I think it's both and, <clears throat> because, you know, we, we have a couple of thousand pastors who are involved uh, in it. And see, I, I, I think the, uh, I came across a very good quote there uh, about respecting traditions, but finding a way uh, to bring things forward. And, uh, you know, it's respecting what we have, because what we have mm. is wonderful, it's beautiful. Uh, but is it actually getting the job done in terms of transforming society? I think there's more than we can look at um, beyond ourselves. And, you know, for a long time, the difficulty was, well, what's the roadmap for that? Yeah. And transformation as a teacher um, uh, does that because what it does is it changes our, our, our innermost being. And that's what I found. I, you know, I, I, I think I plateaued uh, 10 years ago. I felt I plateaued. Um, you know, worship was good. I was enjoying that. Word was great. Uh, fellowship was great. Um, but there was that thing inside of me that, that felt like, you know, the call to mission is there. And, and, and how do we go about this? And transformation has to start inside of us. And I felt the Lord gave me a new heart and broke down a lot of my old mindsets um, to give me a heart to love people, but to give me a vision to see the nation change. And so... It, it always strikes me as odd that we believers have a lot of unbelief. Mm. And, you know, when Jesus said, go and do this, you say, ah, yeah, Jesus, are you serious? You know, <laughs> uh, but he was serious. And, and it is, it has to be possible. You know, when, when Jesus urges us to pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That wasn't an empty, vacuous, uh, aspirational thing. That was intentional. That's going to happen. And so if his kingdom is going to come and his will is going to be done, then, you know, let's align with that. Trust that there's a way. Um, have the right vision, I think, is really important and the right understanding. It's about nations, not just individuals. And that Jesus died to save everything, not just individual believers. The scope of the atonement, I think, is such a, an eye-opener to me. When Jesus died, he put everything right. He paid the price, put everything right not just a vertical relationship with God, but also our horizontal relationships, the Adam, Eve, fallout, um, you know, the Cain, Abel stuff. Jesus paid the price for that. We see it today. All the relational brokenness, Jesus has paid the price for. And then also how, how we engage with society. So, you know, in the garden after the fall, there was you know, the, the thorns, the thistles. And um, yet the price has been paid for that. I remember reading or watching a video by, was it George Otis Jr., maybe 10, 20 years ago, when he talked about when people really started praying, they started to see physical changes in the land again, where, you know, 
fish started coming back, where fruit and vegetables became much bigger. You know, there was there seemed to be something where creation uh, seemed to respond to believers uh, walking in their calling, and you know, the whole of creation is groaning waiting for the sons and, and daughters of God to be revealed. So I think there's so much more for us, and we're, we're only really scratching the surface, all of us. Mm, mm. I, I think it's, a, it's there's so much uh, important things there to, I don't know, highlight. But something you said, I, I just, it's kind of sticking in my heart. There, I think there's this notion from, from people that aren't really missional, so Christians that maybe don't have, like mission is not integrated into their life in any way, there's this notion that that motive is bigger, better, more, you know, world domination or something like that. Um, but really, and maybe this is, this is the best kept secret of missionary life, really what drives the true missionary is love for people. It is that that Christ's love compels us. So what pushes us outside the church is not, and maybe maybe for some people it is ambition, but that is that is a weak motive, actually. It, it won't sustain you, right? But actually, it's if you spend time in the presence of God, you will discover, first of all, his love for you, like the overwhelming yeah. sense of, wow, he loves me as broken and as foolish as I am. But the, but the second revelation is right behind it, isn't it? That if you, if you linger long enough in his presence, you will hear that second overwhelming thing that I also love them. You know, those that are not here, those who have not heard, those who, who suffer, you know, who, who are in need, whatever. Um, and actually, you know, an you just absence, preached it, Brian. Yeah, an absence of mission and I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to say this in a way that's offensive to anyone, but an absence of mission is an absence of love, actually. It's to say we really only love, and, and sometimes we inter I interact with church leaders, and so they feel that tension of like, I have to care for my people. You know, I have to look after my flock, and they think that is an expression of love. And it is, of course it is. But there are other people, you know, within, within walking distance of that place who are also loved by God. You know, and at one level, aren't don't they matter? You know, shouldn't we also yearn for their wholeness and their redemption? And this maybe gets to the issue of, like you were saying, kingdom thinking, this equipping role, the idea of transformation, which I think is a really profound marker or goal. Like instead of just saying, let's have more people come to our church, which I think most Christians just stop there. Like that's enough for them. Or maybe even plant more churches. That's like level two, you know, but actually what I think part of what you're priming here is transformation of the place in which you live or place in which God has planted you. So again, I, I, I'm, I'm going to push it back to you because hopefully you, you have, you have some examples. Can you give me like a small story or a small thing you've heard of like an example of transformation of a place or, or the beginnings or the seeds of transformation, whether it's here in Ireland or somewhere else or in your own life or whatever. Can you give us like an example? Well, yeah, there's um, <clears throat> a guy called Francis Oda, who's an architect in Hawaii and <clears throat> he's an amazing architect, right? But he has this practice, devotional practice, uh, quite apart from his prayer time of envisioning with God. Now, you know, architects are all about design, right? And, and he receives, for his work, right? But generally, he receives plans from the Holy Spirit. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. And, you know, that which is he in heaven, to find it get represented here on earth, right? And I, I give this, I was just on his website last night. So <clears throat> having a look at some of his projects, a company's called Group 70, some amazing projects. But one of them was in Tahiti. And they've been in a competition for some new uh, uh, building. And they lodged their plan. <clears throat> but while he, he gave that uh, to, it was either the president or the king, I can't remember who's, who's uh, governmentally on top, 
anyway, that, that person said, wow, that is an amazing plan. And I really like that, but I'm going to give you something else to work on and I want an answer tomorrow. And he said, it's for this particular place here. It's on the seafront, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and, and I want it tomorrow. Now, tomorrow, that was impossible, right? So uh, Francis went, he went for a swim, Tahiti, beautiful Pacific. But while he was swimming, he got this download, divine download of an architectural plan, right? And um, he got out of the water and he got a stick and he just drew it on the sand. And then he took photographs of it. And he, he got that somehow into a drawing and they presented it to the king next day. And the king said, what? How did you know about that? How did you know that, that was so culturally relevant? How did you know that's so significant to, to our culture here? And Francis said, well, God told me. And the guy said, what? Who's, you know, who's God? You know, God told me. And the upshot was that that president uh, came to Christ, got baptized in the presidential swimming pool, <laughs> he and his household. Beautiful. And so, so that's amazing. <clears throat> Bring it down to, you know, grassroots for me. I had a, a guy who... Uh, whose kids were taken away from him in a, a childcare scenario. And yes, he'd probably gone beyond uh, what's acceptable in an Irish context, but he, he was a well-motivated guy. Um, and we eventually got the kids back. But in, in the course of that whole thing, there were some bad apples in the social services who had lied about him. Um, and you know, it was awful. The sense of hopelessness was horrendous. You know, lies were being told. The, the courts were believing the social services. There was just this despair setting, setting in. But um, I remember in advance praying for the, for the right judge to, to, to deal with the, the case. And um, lo and behold, on the day the, the case came on, a guy came in. We'd never seen him before. Um, I'd never seen him again. Now he's a judge. I know he's a judge. But... Um, he was so compassionate and he saw what the issue was. He gave the kids back to the family and the family was restored. But later, the, the guy brought a, a prosecution uh, against the individuals. The, the courts wouldn't entertain it. He got us involved. We got up to the Supreme Court. And the basic problem was that the police here, the guards, wouldn't get involved in what were called in-camera cases. Um, because they felt that was behind closed doors, can't get involved. But we obtained in the, in the court a, a declaration, making new law here, that um, an alleged offence occurring in the course of in-camera proceedings can be investigated and prosecuted in accordance with law. Now, that was, that was new law here. And um, the, the, uh, that order was brought before, uh, was given to, to copies, copies were given to people uh, who uh, had this hopelessness had set in for them. And we, we know six people beforehand through hopelessness who committed suicide in this context. And we know four people so far who were on the verge of taking that dreadful step in a scenario where they were totally alienated from their, their kids and, and everything, total despair, the system wasn't working for them. And now here was some hope that the police might actually get involved to investigate cases of perjury. And uh, we know four people about to take their own lives who, when they got a copy of this order, said, wow, so there is hope. Mm. And so, <clears throat> you know, God has been able to use our, our practice in that way to make a difference. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> we're involved in, in other work where, and what's interesting here is over a period of time, the, 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 um, the, distinction between the secular and the sacred should never have been there in the first place. You know, we have artificially put that in because our mindsets have been, have been, have been wrong, really. But uh, when the Holy Spirit works through us and everything we do, we can expect to see amazing things happen. So we have another client who is um, uh, an affordable housing builder, very much a need in Ireland. And through their um, 
through their work, people are being taken out of poverty. So instead of paying 1,800 quid a month in rent, they're enabled on an affordable basis to purchase a house. Number one, they get an asset. Number two, they have an extra 1,000 euro in their pocket every month because they're paying back a, a mortgage and a lowish mortgage over a long period of time. So, yeah. you know, you have people taken out of poverty and the Lord has really used us in that context and has given us favour with, you know, city council officials and stuff. And uh, I, I've just seen the Holy Spirit come into secular meetings and totally change uh, uh, city council attitudes and, and open their hearts to us and, and grant us new opportunities. It gives new dimension to the idea of salt, doesn't it? Salt and light and, you know, the seeding of the kingdom. I mean, it's almost like if you were just thinking of those two stories for just for an example, like how do we as a church, you know, make a difference in for, for in, a, in the area of affordable housing? You know, how, how do we uh, make a difference in the life of somebody going through the, you know, justice system? trying to get their kids back. It's a, that's a tough puzzle to solve. You know, if you're just thinking of it from a sacred, uh, you know, ecosystem, right? But you're there, you're placed there, God has put you there. And in one sense, it's easy for you. It's not to say it isn't work, it isn't hard, but because of your positioning, because you're exactly where God wants you, maybe the real genius is just that you know that, that you you somehow realize that's why I'm here. You know, this, this is for these moments to, to get these divine plans and draw them up as an architect or to take this case, which, you know, God wants a certain outcome or wants a certain voice, uh, a certain thing said. I think he wants to use each of us, Brian, you know, um, so whatever we do, uh, wherever we're, we're deployed, and I believe each of us is deployed you know, where we are, we must believe we're in the will of God. Um, and that he wants to manifest his kingdom in and through us. So if we realize that we're ministers and that we're commissioned by, uh, within our Sunday context uh, and envisioned as to how we can make a difference, then we can all see God's kingdom come in our settings and our worlds can be transformed. Yeah, for sure. I, and I, one of the lines that we've used kind of in practice anyway has been reimagining mission for ordinary people. And you've mentioned that a few yeah. times that... And you mentioned Mary earlier, you know, who she was, but was called to, to have Jesus. And she says, you know, I'm the Lord's servant, be it as you say. And I think as you've talked about some of these things, Clifford, and even some of the examples of the architect as well, and we've talked about calling quite a lot on the, on the podcast as well, there is that invitation. God invites us in to, to see the nations transformed, but there's an invitation given to us individually. And wherever we are, whether it's the marketplace, the school, the college, whether it's in a courtroom, wherever it might be, there's that invitation every day, an invitation to join with God in his, in his purposes and in his mission. And, you know, just before we started recording this, you said at one point you put your hand up to say that I want to, I want to do this. And there is that response. Each of us are called to respond, to see the opportunities, God's heart for the world out there. And to say, I'm willing, I'm inadequate. I'm ordinary. I'm not able to do this, but I trust you. And I trust that you're able to do it. Fun, yeah, you're so right. And fundamentally, as Brian was saying earlier, it's about love, actually. Um, you know, it's a film, isn't it, called Love, actually. But yeah. it, it, it does come down to that. And, um, uh, you know, you, 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 you hinted earlier, I think, you know, a couple of episodes where the, the Lord really circumcised my heart. And uh, maybe if I, if I can dwell on that for a second, I mean, I, I was in, uh, I, I was raised in a, an evangelical household and you know would have been quite clear uh on the let's call it the evangelical red lines of mm -hmm. what salvation um and um we had begun um uh fellowshipping with uh a uh, a couple of catholic charismatic groups and and this was brand new for me uh and I wasn't at the time clear whether we could be on the one page or not. Um, and uh, so this particular day I was in a funeral service for a client of mine. And um, my antennae were up, put it this way, to see, well, you know, maybe things have moved on a lot and everything's, everything's good and we're all on the one page and there's no difference actually between any of us. Um, and um, 
90% of the uh, of the Catholic funeral mass was great. Uh, and as a, an evangelical, I would have felt entirely comfortable in it. And then there was a 5 or 10% of it that went into areas where an evangelical wouldn't be comfortable, put it that way. And my heart sank. And in my, in my heart, I said to God, how, how are we ever going to be on the one page? You know, how, how can we work together, really, was my question. And um, I felt, as it were, God tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, they're my kids, you know. And I was shocked, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I said in response, uh, internally, of course, said, but what about that stuff? And the response uh, was, what father um, turns his kids away unless they get everything 100% right? And that broke me. That broke me. And broke me. I, I was in a, a Zoom, you know, a Skype call later that evening with a, a guy, a Franciscan priest in, in Chicago, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, Dimitri and uh, we, we would have regular calls and that evening uh, after the, he looked at me and said Liberty, are you okay you look awful and, uh, and I said I am totally shaken Dimitri and I explained what happened and he said ah he said yeah that qualifies you to work with God's kids who were Catholics. And that was one huge one for me. Um, and a, another time when my heart really got circumcised too was I was at a, a law conference, a seminar in a hotel in Dublin and walking down for coffee mid-afternoon and I hear the Spirit saying to me, Peter and Cornelius, Peter and Cornelius. And so get out my Bible app, my U version or whatever, or Bible Gateway, can't remember which. Um, and Acts chapter 10, have a look and uh, read the story. Peter on the rooftop praying, uh, the sheet comes down from heaven. We all know the story. And, you know, crawling things on it. Voice comes, arise and eat. Oh, and his, his reaction was, Lord, you know, I've never touched any unclean thing. Um, and what was happening here was the Lord was trying to, open his heart beyond the ethnocentric Judaic uh, rituals that excluded people, right? Um, and so, you know, he gets the, the, the message that people will come. He's to go down with them. They're Gentiles and they're to share the gospel. There's a guy here, the whole Cornelius, who's God for him and he's praying and he needs to know the truth. And then if you go over to the Cornelius side of the story, Here's a Roman centurion. Okay, so he, he's one of the bad guys. He's an oppressor of the people. Um, but actually, he's a good guy. You know, he, he prays regularly to God and he gives alms to the poor. And it says because of that, he rose as a memorial before God. God was interested in him. And what I learned, there's a few learning points. From that particular verse in scripture, I learned that God is talking to people, uh, interacting with people, caring for people, watching people far, far before we ever turn up. Okay. But equally, Peter, who knew the truth and had been filled with the Holy Spirit in Pentecost, had received the Great Commission, was still on his rooftop, was still in a mindset where this was for the Jews. We have no roadmap. We don't know how this is going to happen. And, you know, from, from a Gentile, Jew-Gentile mindset, that division was, was a schism. They're the great unwashed. They're ritually unclean. We've nothing in common with them. We can't go there. Culturally, they're the unwashed. And God had to break that. And I identified with Peter in that story. And I said, oh, my God. Um, you have commanded, you've commissioned us to go, you know, to the nations, by definition, the unwashed, as it were, you know, from our cultural Christianity. 
It's the them and us. And that's never been God's heart. But we've had it on our heart. It, it's, it's infiltrated into the church. Um, we have a cultural thing that actually it's about us and the family of faith. It's not actually about the reason why Jesus came. Oh. And the, the novel it was that, that the word is that when we as our Peters go to our Corneliuses, the Holy Spirit will fall. And that took a circumcision of our, that Peter's heart was circumcised there. And I, I tell you, my heart was circumcised. And walls in my heart, you know, towards society, towards, you know, for Cornelius, read anyone you want, you know. Um, you know, give an example of the, you know, the guy who seems furthest away from God. Um, that's maybe our Cornelius. And when we go with what we have with the right heart, and interesting, Peter as he's sort of introing himself to Cornelius said, you know, God had to show me that no one is inferior. When you read Acts 10, you see that. And there's this pride thing. There's, there's a lot of humbling. You know, if my people will humble themselves. And I think we, we as church have not represented the heart of Jesus very well to a nation outside looking on. Seeing, asking the question, well, what are we about? Have we really represented the heart of Jesus to them? Mm-hmm. So this, this has been knocking my walls down as I'm just marinating in these truths. It, I, I really hear two, two sort of um, lines in which we have to be fighting this fight or at least you know, reconceiving who we are. One is the kind of identity side, like, you know, if I, if I have a job or I'm a school teacher, student or something like that, can I, can I really see my destiny in a sense as a called person into that place? So it's maybe the work of seeing the potential there or the potential for transformation, the, the expectation even, the, the mantle that's been put on us to be in that place as, as missionaries, you know. But then it's this other side, this other battle, which you really eloquently uncover, which is we have to change the way we think about those people, right? So if we're going to go, if we get sent, that's half of it. But once you get there, if you come with your bigotry or with your, mm. you know, your, your ignorance or your misconceptions, or uh, you're not going to be effective. So there's also the, the liberating of our view of them, you know, our identity, but then also theirs like how we see them it's really profound but it's also hopeful because when those two things are kind of corrected when our hearts are changed there's been a lot of reference in this conversation to mindset you know when those mindsets shift um man everything can change you know suddenly there's a there's a potency there um so all right just a a kind of final thought clifford again i want to i want to maybe push you towards that person who has, you know, a, a job and, and let's just assume that God has actually put them in that job. They're there for a purpose, for a reason, but maybe they haven't seen themselves as someone that could be significantly used by, by God in that position. Can you, what would you say to them just as a kind of, again, a parting urge, word, encouragement, like what would you say to that person who thinks, ah, you know, my job, what difference does it make? It's not that spiritual. What would you say to them? Okay, we are everywhere our feet goes. We bring the kingdom of God with us. So we're called to bring the kingdom wherever. And I think it's as you were saying earlier, it's about identity, understanding who we are. So we are members of the ecclesia. So where first thing I would encourage people to do is in their twos and threes. You know, if you're at home and you you know if you have a spouse. Maybe that's an ideal uh, to establish church in the home. So, you know, at a micro level, at, a, at a, the most organic level, church is in the twos and threes. Um, and it doesn't take a huge grouping. So you, you can have small cadres of people, of kingdom people in a big organization who, for example, could pray together. Why not? Um, if you're there on your own, just usher the kingdom of God in. 
and pray because prayer is the key intercession is the key and it's like um in a war context you have the artillery and you have the infantry the the prayer and the intercession is the artillery you know you're in the heavens you're it's coming from on high you're legislation into things below but on the ground as infantry we're walking this is why jesus was incarnated um we walk as little christs every day with his heart infused with his spirit and by definition that should touch everything and everyone mm. so what i say to everyone is you are commissioned to go and make a difference and to bring the kingdom where you are just allow the lord abide in the presence of jesus as you're saying brian be filled with the spirit of god and be envisioned i think envisioning is so important um go to you know ecclesiaeverywhere.com or there's an ecclesia everywhere facebook page and you'll receive a lot of encouragement what what is ecclesia you know the twos and threes what are we about how can we make a difference how can we establish ecclesias right across the nation and it doesn't replace our, our sunday thing it strengthens our sunday because suddenly the twos the threes the individuals are exploding with the life the goodness the power of god as always intended so it's a good news so ecclesia everywhere right clifford thank you so much for for joining us today it's been truly great we've taken up a lot more of your time than we planned to and um, sometimes you come across these people who just you want to listen to and just articulate themselves and have great stories so i've really appreciated just you sharing some of your heart some honesty and some vision uh, for the church in Ireland as well and just a reminder um, of love and our, our reason for going so really appreciate it it's great to finally meet you I've heard lots about you um, in the past 15 years of my life so good to finally at least see you on a screen anyway but thank you so yeah, much yeah. Uh, for joining us really appreciate you, you sharing with nice us nice to see you Simon and, and Brian and thanks very much and God bless you guys in Praxis and everything you're doing you're making a difference thanks, thanks a million great to have you thank you You've been listening to Mission Disco, a podcast by Praxis Movement. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Praxis Movement. Subscribe, like or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or online at PraxisMovement.com.